I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word back to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, we continue to look at the end of 9 uh, and chapter 10 as there is this collection of, of sayings here that aren't necessarily arranged very neatly and, and, uh, and tightedly, but um, we're going to focus today on um, the latter part of chapter 9 and, and mostly uh, from chapter 10 verses 12 through the end of the chapter. One of the common themes that's running through this section here um, in chapters 9 and 10 in these different sayings, um, there is a theme with regards to wisdom and folly regarding our speech. So we're going to look at that today. Uh, one quick note. Um, if you look at chapter 10, verse 12, which is really the first verse of that, of that new section we're looking at today, um, if you're using the ESV, uh, it says the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor. Um, that is a, that's, that's not a great translation. Uh, in fact, if you look at the King James, the New King James, the NIV, the NASB, and I can keep going with alphabet soup with regards to Bible translations, um, the other translations translate this as are gracious. Uh, and that's because there is no explicit verb in the phrase uh, in the Hebrew. There's no explicit verb. Um, the last word of the phrase is hain, uh, which is the Hebrew word um, from which we get Hannah, which is um, a name, right, that uh, means grace. So hain is a word that does mean grace or favor, but there's no explicit verb attaching that to what had come previously uh, in, in, the, in the phrase. So, I say all that to let you know, when I read this, I'm going to say, um, are gracious. And I'm not going to say, um, win him favor, and we can discuss that in the sermon. I just didn't want to throw you off. Chapter 9, beginning in verse 17. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. The one sinner, but the one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt 
and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your prince, princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do ask that today you would take these words that you have caused to be written for our edification that are by nature extremely convicting that your grace would overcome our resistance and that your spirit would use them to train us and how to use words as the redeemed people of God who are used by you in the communication of your truth throughout the world. Bless us, we pray, and help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Time and chance happen to us all. Life happens to us all. Fallen life happens to us all all and it brings with it challenges it brings with it frustrations it brings with it opportunities to entrust ourselves to the one who judges justly yes there is difficulty in life in a fallen world and some of us experience the negative effects of the fall more than others some of us have more physical problems. Some of us get sick more. Some of us have worse attitudes by nature. Some of us have lots of talents, and some of us have very few. Some of us have high, well, some of you have high intellect. And some of us have the other. Life in a fallen world, it happens. And we have to deal with it. We have to deal well with the blessings, and we have to deal well when things are not so blessed. 
what Solomon has been putting before us is that it is wisdom that helps us to navigate our way through life under the sun. Folly will sour and destroy. Now, I want to make sure you're hearing me not in regards to salvation versus non-salvation. He is not saying the wise are the saved and the foolish are the unsaved. He is not saying that. There are saved people who are extremely foolish. And there are unbelievers who can manifest a great deal of common grace wisdom in this life. He is not talking about the categories of someone who is alive in Christ versus someone who is dead in sin. What he's talking about here mostly has to do with talking to the people of God, talking to the people that he assumes are alive in Christ. Now, at the time in which Solomon was writing, he was anticipating these things. But for us reading them after Christ, we have to assume these things. He anticipated we assume. That when Solomon is talking to us on behalf of God, as the king of the day, he is talking to all of God's people throughout the generations. And the truth that he is communicating is just as important, necessary, and applicable today as it was back then. Wisdom will help us navigate our way through life under the sun. Wisdom will not free us from the consequences. Wisdom will not free us from the challenges. Wisdom will not free us from the implications of the curse. We will have to face them all. But wisdom can help us navigate these things. What folly does is take the already negative consequences of life in a fallen world, life in a cursed world. What folly does is take the curse and make it worse unnecessarily. Wisdom helps us navigate our way folly sours and destroys. And as we began looking at last week, it sours and destroys ourselves, and it can sour and destroy those around us. We can, through our folly, inflict unnecessary problems onto ourselves, and we can, through folly, inflict unnecessary problems on those around us. The wisdom that Solomon is trying to get us to see, even though it was before Christ, is a wisdom of the cross. The wisdom of a sovereign God who executes his sovereignty in hidden, mysterious ways that don't always make sense according to the world. Right? What folly does is think that the fastest person will win the race. What folly does is think that the richest person will be the one who is the smartest, or the smartest person will be the richest. The, what folly does is say that the person who is the strongest is the person who will win. 
What folly says is the king who has the most number of troops, he has the, the, most, he has the best weapons, he has the best technology, can go up against something really small and win the day. And what does Solomon say? No. An insig- a seemingly insignificant, poor man of nothing status who is wise can overcome that king. Which we know has been expressed in the life and the ministry and the words of Jesus Christ. He came as the king of kings and yet was born in a stable born in a status of lowliness and humility. And that lowliness and humility was the path to exaltation and glory. That's the wisdom of the cross. The wisdom of glory, says the strong win, the fast win, the rich win, the smart win. The wisdom of the cross, it is the wisdom of embracing God's sovereignty as God has been executing that sovereignty. And that is sometimes through an outward display of power, and it is quite often through a mysterious, subtle accomplishment through what what looks weak, through what looks like defeat. That's the wisdom of the cross. Solomon has been putting before us, embrace the sovereignty of God so that you avoid the sacrifice of a fool, so that you avoid trying to take life into your own hands, or so that you avoid thinking that your life is in the hands of men. Paul Tripp in his book, Instruments in the Hands of the Redeemer, says every time You love your enemy. You are resting in the sovereignty of God. Every time you speak lovingly and softly in the face of someone else's anger, you are choosing to rest in the sovereignty of God. Every time you resist the temptation to win an argument at all costs, you are resting in God's sovereignty. Because he rules, nothing you do in obedience to him is ever futile. And that's the temptation, right? The temptation is is when I've got someone coming at me, I've got to win by overcoming them. And if there is any question that you and I do this, all we have to do is look at the way we use words. If there is any expression in our lives that will reveal to us once and for all without question of how often we are functioning in the wisdom of the cross which embraces the sovereignty of God, Versus the folly of trying to control and take, take care of matters through our own strength, through our own ingenuity, through our own gifts, through our own talents. If there's any test for us that should demonstrate once and for all, it is the test of our words. It is the test of our speaking. 
The way of wisdom is the way of mystery in God's sovereignty in how he accomplishes his purposes. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Folly is loud and brash. Wisdom is quiet and subtle. Folly is self-serving. Wisdom serves others. Folly puts attention on outward things. Wisdom looks to the heart. Folly is often celebrated while wisdom is often not appreciated even when, and often especially when, it's proven to be right. Every parent of a teenager knows exactly what I'm talking about. You can be right and still lose somehow. I don't know. Folly is impulsive disobedience, self-centered arrogance, rash disregard for God. And that, 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 that impulsiveness, that, that, um, that rashness can affect negatively the, the, the fool as well as those who are around the fool. It sours life. It destroys life. And what Solomon has told us here is that folly is not necessarily an intellectual problem. It's a problem of the heart. Now, this is not political. But Solomon said, the fool goes to the the left. <laughs> Man, if you ever wanted to take something out of context. The fool goes to the left. The wise goes to the right. It's not political. It's something that many of us older people in the room remember, right? How many of you grew up in schools where, you know, when it came time to do the art project, right? and you had the, the big thing of scissors came out, you'd have like one person in the class go, oh, I'm sorry, I'm left-handed, where are my scissors, right? And, and quite often, they didn't have any left-handed scissors. We don't, why, why would we spend money on left-handed scissors? There's only a couple of you need them, so just, just learn to do it with the right. All right, throughout history, there, there has been a dominance of right-handedness versus left-handedness. And in the ancient world, just like in the 70s in elementary school when I was there, you know, if you're left-handed, well, you're just, you're not important <laughs> because you're, you know, you're outside of the mainstream. And so often in the, in the Bible, often in the Old Testament, um, the left hand is used to illustrate what is not normal uh, or what's not typical or what's not dominant, right? How do you slip a dagger into a king unnoticed? Well, hold it in your left hand because they're looking for it coming from the right. Anyway. The bigger issue here. Folly is not necessarily a matter of intellect. It's a matter of the heart. You can know the right thing and do its complete opposite. It's not a matter of intellect. It's a matter of of the heart and what does Jesus tell us about our hearts that it is from the over 
flow from the abundance of them that the mouth speaks. If you want to know what's in your heart, look at what you're saying. Look at how you say it. Look at when you say it. Look at why you say it. Folly sours and destroys. And if there's a better way to describe what words can do, you let me know. Because that's often what words can do. Plato is, is wise for saying the wise speak because they have something to say. Fools, because they have to say something. My favorite is C.S. Lewis uh, as to why, why men should smoke a pipe. And, and that's because it gives the wise uh, something to do as he contemplates. It gives the fool something to stick in his mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what Solomon is telling us here is, is nothing different. The words of the wise do what? Bring healing, he says. The words of folly, he says, do what? Consume. Literally, swallows up. And once again, remember the bigger paradigm. That can be the fool doing it to himself or herself. It can be the fool doing it to those around them. The words of the wise are grace. They are hain. They, they are favor. And, and some, uh, one translation, the ESV, has said wins favor uh, because they, they've made a, 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 an interpretive decision on the basis of the words of folly consuming. And so they're, they're taking that as negative. So they're trying to assert that in the parallel, um, the parallelism of the Hebrew, the first phrase uh, should be in parallel. Uh, or uh, the, uh, a contrastive parallelism. Don't don't worry about all that. Um, so that if the words of the of the of the foolish are doing something that that messes up, that the the words of the of the wise must be to his benefit. That that's kind of what they're assuming. But they're forgetting here um, that the bigger paradigm is that the effects of the wise and the effects of the foolish are not only for the self, but also for those around them. So the words of the fool will consume him, and it can consume those around him if they are participating in his foolishness. The words of the wise are grace, and they are grace to himself, and they can be grace to those around him if they participate with him in what he is saying. That's the big picture. We saw this in the readings from Proverbs leading up to our confession of sin, the way the words of, of the foolish hurt. They destroy. They take life. And the words of the wise heal. They encourage. They prop up. They give life. Our mouths, he tells us, can either lead us to be agents of life or it can lead us to be those who steal life, who take life. How do you want your words to be used? 
to give life or to take life. And notice that there is a downward spiral that takes place where once you are using your words to take life, to consume yourself or to consume those around you, that it doesn't just stop, but it keeps going downward and downward and downward and leads to what he calls here evil madness. How many times have you experienced in yourself or in, in someone that's close to you where you know they've been wrestling with something and you know or you know for yourself that you're really starting to give in uh, to something that is not wise? And you watch that process and, and at some point you can tell their wrestling with it becomes words. And their words they'll, they'll share with you in private but then the next thing you know they're talking to lots of people around them. And then from there, they start to act on the lack of wisdom. They start to act on the folly that they've been thinking, that they've been saying, and now it becomes manifest in their lives. It's one leading to the other. Because your words, beloved, don't start with what you say. Your words start in your heart. Then they get spoken, and then they get embodied. Words are not simply about words. Words are about what's going on in your heart, what you say, and how you live. And there is this downward spiral that folly will bring into your life where you start entertaining folly, you start speaking folly, you start living out that folly. And how many times have you looked at a loved one and you just go, man, what is going on? They seem crazy right now. And if you haven't said that, no, never mind. But how often have you, have you seen that in someone? That's what Solomon's saying here. It's those words of folly that begin in the heart, they will start to be expressed through the tongue and then they get expressed in life and they will consume you. They will swallow you up and they will swallow up those who are around you if they participate with you. Our mouths lead us into sin and our mouths lead us into greater sin and greater foolishness. And he also tells us here, that our mouths and our words will lead us into a stubborn self-assuredness. It leads us to think we can predict the future. Can you? No. And what happens to the fool? He becomes so sure of it, who can tell him that he's wrong? How many times have you thought, oh, I know where this is headed, and been right, right? Sometimes you're right. It's not because you knew it. You guessed well. And sometimes there are better guesses than others, but that's not knowledge. You didn't know it. And the thing is, is a lot of times you're wrong. How many times have you thought, I know this is headed, but then it doesn't end up where you thought it was. And you, and you thought to yourself, oh, I'm, sure, I'm sure glad I didn't say that to anybody. 
But there is a stubborn self-assuredness that comes with folly as words that begin in the heart, that get expressed in the mouth, that in, get embodied in life, then become incalcitrant in a stance in which I know better than everyone else around me. To put it as my coach used to put it, your mouth is writing checks that your body can't cash. Never understood that in football. He was also the person that, when he said he wanted us to go both to the left and to the right, would tell us to be amphibious. What does your speaking, what does it reveal about your heart? What does our speaking as a church reveal about our heart? Are we revealing wisdom? Are we revealing folly? If we're honest, what we'll realize is that there is a combination of both. There are going to be times where we are wise. There are going to be times when we are foolish. And part of what is necessary then to, to grow in the use of our mouths in a godly way is to grow in becoming more and more wise and reducing the amount of foolishness. Paul Tripp, once again, but a different book, a book called The War of Words, which I highly recommend to everyone in this room, says winning the war of words involves choosing our words carefully. It's not just about the words we say, but also the words that we choose not to say. It's about being prepared to say the right thing at the right moment, exercising self-control. It is refusing to let our talk be driven by passion and personal desire, but communicating instead with God's purposes in view. It is exercising the faith necessary to be part of what God is doing in that moment. It is embracing the sovereignty of God in that moment according to the way that God often expresses that sovereignty which means we don't have to win the argument it means we don't have to to follow the escalation of someone else it means we don't have to win at all costs it means there are times when what the person is saying is wrong and we don't correct there are times when the person is expressing foolishness and you do what you don't want to get swallowed up in that foolishness, so you step back. You don't always have to argue. You don't always have to correct. You, you don't always have to say what you think is right. Quite often, the wisdom of words is in choosing not to speak at all. What we see here, beloved, is nothing less than a motivation to realize that we cannot rely upon ourselves, our own strength, our own righteousness, our own intellect, our own emotional state to reveal the righteousness of God in this life. We are absolutely, completely dependent upon the one who came 
and he knew exactly what to say, when to say it, with the right level uh, of escalation, words that brought healing to those who were looking to God by faith, and those It brought conviction to those who reject, who were rejecting God and setting up a different standard in the place of God's standard. Jesus Christ, who revealed his righteousness in the perfect use of his tongue, as his tongue was also an expression of his heart. And out of the abundance of righteousness that existed in his sinless heart, he expressed that righteousness when he spoke, how he spoke, what he spoke, and why he spoke. And he didn't go around trying to control everything with his words. But he also didn't go around and completely check out and not use his words at all. Jesus didn't avoid having difficult conversations. But even his difficult conversations were had as one entrusting himself to his father. There were most of the conversations that are recorded between Jesus and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, those who were his enemies, where Jesus is right, but they never acknowledge it. They stop arguing, but they never say, you know what, you're right. And beloved, what we are looking for when we use our words as instruments of God's righteousness is we are not looking for the other side to tell us we're right. What we do is we express the truth of God in as godly of a way as we can and we leave the results to the sovereignty of God. Every now and then, someone will say, you know what, you're right. But most of the time, they won't. Even if they're thinking it, they won't say it. So we need to, to exclude that expectation. But here's the greater thing that I want you to get today. There is no better way in my mind for us to embrace the sanctification of God in Jesus Christ than through this real world tangible issue of talking. Because what it means for Christ to have used his words perfectly on the one hand means that yes, he was able to be the righteous substitute for us that, go, that went to the cross. But what it also means is the Jesus who was raised from the dead, the Jesus who was exalted to the right hand of the Father, the Jesus who has taken up residence in your hearts by way of the Holy Spirit is this Jesus. And he continues to use his words righteously. And by nature of our union with Christ, beloved, what this means is he has taken up residence in your heart to speak in your heart, to speak through your heart. 
his righteousness. And sanctification in general tells us what? That by nature of our union with Christ, the Spirit empowers us to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. What that means, beloved, is that your power to use your mouth in a more godly way, in a wise way, is not a power that you have to drum up within yourself. That's not going to come from you studying and from you sinking deep into whatever you think is going to be wise and the way to do this. It's going to come from sinking roots deeper and deeper and deeper into the Christ who speaks this way, who now lives within your heart. And he is remaking your heart according to his. And beloved, he is remaking your mouth according to his. Yes, you and I will never speak the wisdom that is, that is perfectly, that is discussed here. But Jesus has. And Jesus is still speaking. And he speaks in you and he speaks through you. And so, yes, we want to study wisdom and cultivate wisdom, but the wisdom we cultivate is a wisdom in which we entrust ourselves to God no matter what is going on and to the mystery of the God who indwells us, the mystery of the God who speaks wisely in us and through us. So what you have to do is open yourself up more to Christ and let him guide you in what to say, when to say it, how to say it. Because that's what comes with maturity. Right? Immaturity are princes who get up in the morning and they start partying. Maturity are princes that get up in the morning, they eat a good breakfast so they can get about the work of the kingdom. That's why he goes to this illustration of the wise versus the foolish princes. Immaturity will always express itself in folly. Maturity is what is needed to be expressed in wisdom. And the maturity that we are called to, beloved, is sinking our roots deeper into who we are in Jesus Christ so that we will open ourselves up to that Christ, not only living in us in order to bring us salvation, but living through us by which we can express what God counts us to be in our justification, we can mature in in our sanctification, become who you are already accepted to be in Jesus Christ. Not in a general righteousness, but especially in your use of words. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we need your ongoing work of sanctification. There is so much that tempts us to immaturity. There is so much that tempts us to self-centeredness. There is so much that tempts us to being rash. There is so, so much that tempts us to being undisciplined. There is so much that tempts us to saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, in the wrong way, for the wrong reason. But we praise you that you overcome this 
in us through your Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, help us to be more honest about the foolishness of of our words as they are in our hearts, as they come out of our mouths, and as they get expressed in living. And help us to be more honest about this so that we can constantly, day by day and moment by moment, open ourselves up to the Christ who is at work within us so that we can learn and mature and grow in the use of our words in our hearts, through our mouths, and in our living. Do this, we pray, Lord, so that we, as your people, can live out the wisdom of the cross in this world, so that we can better navigate through the consequences of the curse, and so that we can be used by you as witnesses to your eternal love, mercy, grace, and truth, which you have embodied in your Son, which he expressed in the worship of his heart, the trust of his life, the words that he spoke, and a humility that led to exaltation. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.